1: Welcome back to America's Heroes Group, roundtable with Mental Health Matters. We have a a serious topic to talk about. We have some special guests on the line with us today from the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, and our partner, NAMI Contra Costa. Today is Saturday, February 5th, 2022. February is Black History Month and American Heart Month. Cliff Kelly is our host. I'm the co-host, Sean Claiborne. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith. And our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. So Gigi Crowder is on the line with us. She's a partner, and she's the executive director of NAMI Contra Costa in California. NAMI is the National Alliance of Mental Illness, an advocacy group founded by family members of people with mental illness. And we want to talk about something very, very serious and something that's been on on the radar, especially for veterans, for a long, long time, for many, many years, particularly now that we have people returning home from Afghanistan, and that is the crisis around suicide. Gigi Crowder, are you there with us? Yes, I am. Thanks for having me. So tell us what we need to know about this this crisis. Suicide is is something that we talk about a lot um, within the veteran community. There's 22 suicides a day we hear about all the time um, as part of our lexicon nowadays. What is is being done about this?
0: Well, uh, I was on your show in uh, October. We had an opportunity to talk about the 988 number that should be effective July 2022 this year wow. but we have an opportunity to have conversations that we've never had before but we also have the opportunity to have individuals be able to cut the line and not call 9 but call directly and speak with counselors who are who will be trained and able to deploy the type of services that they need right away we recognize especially after some pretty high profile um, suicides that like the young um, Miss USA, that this is not about having it all. That's a myth. Suicide is impacting many people, and it's really um, showing us that we can do a whole lot more. However, surprisingly, after COVID, the suicide rate overall has actually dropped by 3% for The general population, but there's still some groups, and the groups that we should be worried about are individuals under the age of 30.
1: Hmm. Their
0: rates have not shifted.
1: Right. That's the second leading cause of death, ages 10 to 34, suicide. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States overall, but second leading cause of death for people ages 10 so I can't even imagine a ten-year-old going through a crisis, a psychological crisis, where they would feel that the that there is no other hope but death.
0: Yeah. So although suicide decreased, depression and the anxiety, right, has mm-hmm. increased tremendously, and we're talking about mental health a lot more, even with younger people, but we're not necessarily supplying them with the resources that they
1: need. Wow. So how are we how do we um, how do we get people to 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 communicate their their, their, their depressions or their, the things that are that's bothering them to talk more about it? Because it seems like that's something we kind of run away from. And and, uh, and when we have when we have people in our families, when we have people that are in our in our social circles, we tend to seem we seem to always want to shy away from the topic of mental health and depression, things like along those lines.
0: Yeah, so it's it's, it's normalizing and breaking down barriers around communication. You don't have to ask someone if they uh, have a plan for ending their life, but you can check on people. And we're learning it's really important to check on the ones that appear to be doing well. So sometimes there's some obvious signs for individuals. So you should be asking questions. Parents in particular should be asking questions because of the sheltering in place and, and young people not being able to go to school. Sometimes it was teachers that they have special relationships with or school staff and they were able to find someone to talk to but parents are sometimes busy and so we know that if you don't have that special person looking out for you or asking you the question sometimes it can you can feel pretty isolated so we're thinking that um, the rates for young people have gone up because they don't have as much access to individuals who would have been Looking out for them
1: and also tell us a little bit more about Nami and also how Nami got started so that's because so I've looked on your website and it's, its you have a lot of great information on on your website a lot of videos I saw that were really touching and also very um, very informative. Tell us about Nami how it got started and what your mission is
0: so most NAMIs, because there's six hundred affiliates across the nation, most were started when family members and in this case the national The first one was started by two moms who were hoping to get services for their loved ones who live with severe mental illness and the governmental services were not meeting their needs. So they started meeting to kind of share uh, and get other families together to talk about how they can push and advocate for better services. Well, that was happening actually all over the nation, generally over coffee with a group of individuals that just were not pleased, and many had different names, but then when they realized that there was this national NAMI, they started joining forces with that one because there is definitely strict in numbers. So our NAMI is, carries a mission to educate, advocate, support, and um, do outreach to find those families with the motto of you're not alone. And that's a message that we should be sharing with all people, you're not alone. Generally, you're gonna find someone else who has had your struggles, who have figured out ways to get past it through getting the support they need. And that's what's so tragic around individuals who make the decision to end their lives. There's studies that show those who survive attempts often are grateful that their lives were spared.
1: That was interesting. I, I saw that fact as well, because 9 out of 10 survivors, which couple. first let's back up a little bit. We've got 129 suicides per day. One sixth of these are veterans. Mm-hmm. So the CDC says suicide's up about 30% over the last 20 years, roughly, although the last few years yeah. since the pandemic, yes, we had a little bit of a drop. Guns, if you ha- if a gun is involved with a suicide, it's an 85% success rate. However, if there's no guns involved, the, the, it's a 95% failure rate of suicides. And typically 9 out of 10 people who try to commit suicide? Who survive? Usually, don't ever uh, do it again, or try to attempt it again. So, 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 exactly. so that's that's the I think that's the silver lining in this, at least. Um, mm-hmm. But also an eye opening um, uh, fact. So, particularly with a lot of veterans, because a lot of veterans are gun owners, and that's typically the weapon of choice for suicide. For veterans. exactly,
0: and I've I've worked with some individuals that have had some pretty great strategies around how you could avoid having that do uh, use their weapons um, by building a relationship and layering actually in the toolkit or in their ammunition box some things that are important to them. So by the time they get down to where their their ammunition would be, they've rethought their decision. So people are getting pretty creative, but uh, for a person to feel despondent, we probably should be Doing more preventative services and offering the resources before a person gets to that point.
1: I definitely agree. So, so tell me, what are some of the things that, you, that in your personal experiences, that have been successful at getting people to kind of turn their corner, turning their uh, – there's a the quote on your website, turning silence into recovery. How do you get people to turn the corner, to, to re, uh, kind of reshape and kind of deal with a lot of the struggles in their lives? I like the idea of um, NAMI having people that have gone through the experience or had depression, had issues, who are trying to recover themselves, helping other people to recover. But what are some of the key steps that, that you do in your in your process? they can take a person who's in the darkness and trying to get them to the light. mm -hmm.
0: So often individuals who are having a difficult time will self-medicate with alcohol and other drugs. So we know that. And then the individuals in their life actually are worried about them, but they also sometimes are upset with them. So they are not able to see the signs of the mental illness because they're more focused on the damage that the person may have done and the hopes and dreams they have for the individual. So uh, at NAMI, we do remind people that it is a medical condition and it has nothing to do with a person's character and that even addictions are, are you know, chemical imbalances and diseases. So that, that education part is really important for us at NAMI so that the individuals has a support system. So often when I get a phone call and, and When it's a young person, I like to take all those calls. They're usually going to be from their parent, and I'm usually going to do the education, but I'm going to ask that parent if they feel like the young person will speak with me. And surprisingly, they usually will speak with you because generally they're looking for someone they can trust. Hmm. And as soon as I get on the phone with them, I say, you've been having a really tough time, I'm someone who's familiar with individuals who've been where you are, but are now doing much better. And I'd love for you to give me the opportunity to build your toolkit and meet some of these individuals. And I think a large part of of it is connecting people with their purpose and having an opportunity for them to share and get the feelings that they're carrying out. Our motto being, you're not alone, helps them identify with the fact that there's opportunities for growth, opportunities for healing, and I think that's made a big difference for us to use a model where we use lived experience, as you mentioned earlier, to just show examples of individuals who've gotten through it. But also, love and compassion is really important as well, because so many people become very isolated, and that's not very healthy. As a matter of fact, I was reading that. One of the reasons that uh, suicide rates may have dropped is because we were forced to be together. So some people weren't as isolated as before, wow. with family members.
1: Wow, that's amazing. So, so, so actually, forced people to be at home in some ways yes. help people, you know, be around other people, so they weren't having those mm-hmm. those those uh, suicide thoughts and things like that. That's amazing.
0: And if then job loss was... and things like that, with so many other people experiencing it individuals didn't feel like they were a failure
1: mm. wow can, can you tell us your social media handles give us the information on how we can connect with you guys uh particularly on your like your, if you have a facebook page or also your phone number if people want to connect with you
0: yeah well our the not there's a nami national so that's a nami nami.org and then ours is specific to contra costa county it just NAMIContraCosta.org, and then if you go to that website, I mean, most people, I, I wanted to put my phone number there. I have no problem with people calling me, and then if there's someone more uh, specific to having their lived experience, I pass it on to them. But you'll find all the phone numbers at the NAMI National. There are 600 affiliates, Or so an individual go to NAMI National and find the affiliate closest to their home. And then make a connection one of the things that family members like so much is that when they go to our trainings they they then connect with other individuals who've been supporting their loved one and they can share strategies.
1: Mm-hmm. so
0: we're on facebook each of the affiliates are on facebook each of the affiliates have their own website each of the affiliates have a number you can connect with them generally they have warm lines so we don't have a crisis line. It's really much more important for individuals to speak to trained individuals. So most most counties will have a contract with an organization and a well-known number like 211 where they can call and get, you know, support that way. But we at our NAMI and Contra Costa Counties, we respond immediately. So we we'll get a call. The answering service will code it and send it to our staff. And someone, whether it be staff or a volunteer, will generally respond within two or three uh, hours. But the National Suicide Hotline, which is probably a much faster approach, where it's 24-7 and individuals will pick up right away.
1: And the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline Hotline is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-TALK. Now, how does, how does a person get trained or prepared um, to do the, some of the work that you guys do as far as talking to someone who's thinking about suicide? Is, is, how do you get somebody ready to help someone else in that in that, in that situation?
0: Generally, it's going to be someone who themselves have experienced it, but there's plenty of trainings. I mean, we send our staff to training um, pretty regularly because that information has always been updated at at one point, you were told to avoid the conversation years ago, and now you're taught to ask the person right away if they have a plan. Hmm. You're you're taught to know what the signs are if a person starts giving away their possessions. But mostly individuals who call in, they just want to have someone to talk to. Another thing, sadly, because of the work I have had, experiences with people who couldn't hold on and they have, you know, ended their lives. And what's uh, kind of misleading is you have to have energy to do it. So sometimes you'll feel like the person is better, but no, they were just too depressed. And then when they get a little more energy, they'll complete it. And that's what we're also trying to avoid happening.
1: Wow. And I've heard about that before that, you know, medication sometimes will actually trigger a suicide because mm-hmm. they were they were depressed, they couldn't get out of bed, but then they get medication. Now they can move around, they start doing things and they start planning their suicide.
0: Yeah, sadly.
1: Yeah. That's, depra- that's really, really bad, and that's really sad. But now, so, so there are some silver linings, once again, on some of the things. There's groups out there, people you can talk to, and also we have a little bit more, I uh, think, knowledge about and an understanding, it seems like, about not judging and being so judgmental of people who are committing suicide and people that are depressed, things like that. Do you see that happening? Um, I know it's on the, on, the, on the website, and some of the stories are heard centered around the church. Now, sometimes the church uh, may not be prepared or may not even be the best places sometimes to get information or to get the support you need.
0: That's definitely true. And um, we do a training, uh, most NAMIs have a faith net and our faith net is designed to train faith leaders about what mental illness is and what it's not. So too often faith leaders become the first responders but are not equipped to have carry the skill set needed to um, appropriately support the individual. So we try and bridge the gap between the spiritual and the clinical. So we know that you can't just take someone into a back room and lay hands and pray over them. You need to understand that schizophrenia is a medical condition and that perhaps If the individual is turning to you, you can identify an individual from their faith practice that has the credentialing to support them. And in most faith centers, you're going to find someone within your congregation who has that. So we try to build mental health friendly communities by starting with faith communities, working with the faith leader who has the power of the mic, right? So they can share information over their sermons and do a lot of great, um, move in the the positive direction. And we also share with them to uh, dispel myths and stereotypes about mental illness and encourage individuals um, to get the support that they need versus um, using language like you can get over it. And, you know, sometimes what we used to hear from young people as parents would say things like, you know, you're so young you don't have anything to worry about. So we're really educating people about the chemical imbalances and the the physical nature of depression to have them better understand and we've we've had great support from faith leaders in the last ten years around achieving that goal of being more informed, reducing stigma and also seeing mental illness as a social justice issue around it not having the type of funding that's needed to really address it in an effective manner.
1: Do you see, uh, do you see the problem of suicide particularly in with African Americans and also people in the LGBTQ community?
0: Yeah, it's definitely higher and growing and uh, sadly for the African American community is growing at rates that we've never seen before. And I'm going to say for that community, even through COVID there's been an increase and in young people. So, as you talk about it and um, remove the judgment away, um, sadly there was this belief system that suicide was a selfish act, but others studies have shown when individuals who felt at it, they said they thought that their family and others would be better off without them. Hmm. So that's not selfish, that's selfless. Right. And so educating people around that is is much more important for veterans it continues to be studies that show that there's moral injury and discussions around um survivor um remorse Mm -hmm. that contribute to the high rate of, of suicide in that community
1: wow so how does a person um Who's a helper who's a person who's trying to do the work that you do? how do you keep your spirits up how do you i have seen a lot and read a lot of people that like for example, I think would I think of the of the activists uh, years ago in washington d c Mitch schneider who was a, a huge mm-hmm. uh, homeless champion committed suicide um, right yeah. like, right in the middle of his career like right in his, the, the heyday of his yeah. you know, of his uh, social of his uh, social agenda so yeah like, how does that how do you how do you you become how do you stay on top of it where you you don't yourself don't become depressed or get to the point where you think about, you know, suicide De- or death? Self-care,
0: self-care becomes very important for anyone working in this field. You get the phone calls. I mean, I, I, I probably do have not so great boundaries because I treat each individual as if it could be my own child and how would I respond if it was. And so... I know I need to get up in the morning and go to the gym, and I put on my TD Jake sermons and that they're all very empowering. And I think about how I'm going to uh, support others, but how I'm going to take care of myself so I can support others. So just like when you board an airplane and the pilot tells you that you um, must put the air mask on yourself before you're child even, it goes against everything you believe, but if you get into the practice of doing that, you realize you actually have more for other individuals. And then I have no problem with treating myself. So I'm in the gym, which allows me to eat my treat as well as shop for the things I want. And I found a, a really good balance. So I do work hard but I also play hard. And I and I don't um you know I don't knock myself or given myself the opportunity to bring a lot of uh, what I like seeing in my life.
1: Now, can I ask you a personal question? How did you, yes. what, what made you personally get involved with NAMI? How did you get involved with NAMI? Was Did something trigger your um, involvement?
0: I have an aunt who lived with schizophrenia, and because I'm from the African-American community, there wasn't a lot of education, so we would visit her at the state hospital, And then when I went to college and happened to major in psychology, and once I finished up my studies, I decided to focus on strengths versus weaknesses. And I recognized because of not understanding what she was dealing with and blaming her, so many people self-medicate, it's easy to see it as a character flaw when someone is using drugs. But really, they're looking for an escape from the symptoms, and that's why they self-medicate. So I recognized that my dear Aunt Christine, I missed out a lot by not understanding. And then as she got older, I saw less of the psychiatric symptoms and just more of older age, and we had a great relationship after that. And then I started applying that to what I was seeing and other people in the programs that I work with, that if you really got to know them and focus on their strengths versus their weaknesses, you would understand that we're all alike and uh a medical condition should not define a person's value
1: mm. now do you see more men committing suicide than women i remember camera for that if oh I yeah that back it, up.
0: In, the, in this country these statistics have been changed in decades it's a uh, white males over the age of 60 who has the highest incident of suicide for any one court. Well, Native American community has the highest overall by, by, by ethnicity. It's always been white men who've had the highest. And some people suggest that's a loss of power, not connected to their purpose as much when they're older. So, that's remained pretty static.
1: Wow. Do you think social media has plays a role, especially with kids nowadays, as far as
0: Definitely. For bullying and, yes, social media, and there's been, you know, some attempts at reducing the amount of uh, screen time that individuals have because there's a correlation to the amount of screen time and depression and lack of motivation. But sadly, what happened to COVID was with the distant learning and not going into the school setting, We reintroduced the technology, and so often students would be with their laptops but their cell phones in their hands. So we've been hearing from educators that now they're having a struggle with that was the only way young people could connect with each other, that they became kind of addicted to it. And I'm going to say some adults are, and I'll raise my hand. I reach for it (laughs) before I reach for my Bible. I'm not happy about it, but I know I do. And for me, it's not to see how many likes I've gotten. But it, it, it's become an educational tool for me and a way to connect as well. So I think it's, it's harming us, and I think it does lead to depression, anxiety, and, um, you know, the culture
1: of having it all
0: is, is perpetuated through social media. Wow. Our needing to have it all.
1: Well, Gigi, I appreciate you spending the time with us and giving us a, a lot of information about this really difficult topic.
0: Thank you for holding such a forum for me to do so. Thank you for inviting.
1: Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit AmericasHG.org.